My name is Evan Meyer, and you're listening to the Undomesticate Podcast, a show where we explore how to deprogram domestication, restore the health of our body, mind, and spirit, and return to our sovereign roots. What's up, y'all? Evan here. Hope you guys are having a great start to 2024. This intro is going to be pretty short because this episode is a new format. It is a solo episode. So far, I've only done interviews. So if you're used to those or you're new to this podcast, you might want to go ahead and check out one of those. But if you're interested in some of the personal breakthroughs that I've gone through lately, some of the stuff that I've been facing in my life, challenges, growth edges, all those types of things, a little bit more about what's going on in my world, how I'm learning, developing my leadership, how it's helping others. Uh, you might want to listen to this one. I really dive into the specifics around a couple of retreats that I went on the last couple of months. Uh, one was the Hoffman process and the other one was a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And I really focus on healing family of origin, uh, our childhood wounds, vindictiveness, letting go of our ego, just a whole gamut of stuff that I've experienced and got some insight and made some distinctions around in the last few months. So if that's up your alley, go ahead and hang out here with me for the next hour. And if it's not, well, hang out with me anyway, or go check out another episode and interview uh, if that better suits your listening style and pleasure. And of course, if you are hanging out here and you do like what I'm up to, please go ahead and hit subscribe as well as leave us a review. It's super duper helpful just in building this show. You know, I do all of this myself and it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And the better I can rank on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, the better guess I can get. And uh, the easier it is to kind of produce this whole show and get it to lots and lots of people. So without further ado, let's jump into episode nine of the Undomesticate podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Undomesticate podcast. Um, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than my typical interviews. And so if you're new here, you may you might want to check out those episodes instead, because uh, today I'm going to share a few personal stories, some things that have been happening in my life over the last few months, some of the lessons that I've learned, and uh, just share a little bit more about my process, uh, what I've been up to, and kind of what I'm planning on creating going forward. It's the beginning of the year. At the time of recording this, we're just in the first week of January, and so we're carrying all that momentum, that 2024 energy. And if, uh, if you're watching this episode on YouTube right now, you'll notice that I'm outside. So anyone listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, if you hear any background noise, maybe the odd car passing by or the wind picking up, I'm just sitting in my backyard right now. It's a pretty brisk, cold uh, January day here in the mountains, but I'm bundled up and I just needed to be outside. I've been spending so much time behind the computer, on my devices. I saw my screen time the other day and it was atrocious. I'm not even going to name the number um, of hours that I spent in front of a screen across all my devices. Uh, but I'm really wanting to figure out ways that I can 
enjoy the great outdoors uh, as well as record this podcast. So sitting outside in the backyard, hopefully the audio quality turns out. And uh, if it doesn't, well, you're just going to have to bear with it. So today I really want to share about uh, specifically about what I've been up to in the last month. At the beginning of December uh, 2023, right at the end of November, really, I went off to California and I was in California for about a month. And, you know, I want to share the process that I had there because I was on a couple different retreats. I did something called the Hoffman Retreat, which is a kind of a well-known inner child family of origin healing retreat. And then I had a small gap and then I went and sat a 10-day Vipassana. And my intention with sharing this is, is just to show my life work, you know, share my processes, my experiences and the messes I make in life. Um, and I want to share that with others because I'm really just committed to transparent leadership. And part of my mission here is to develop leadership, right? It's to develop the leadership of other people. And I need to be an open book. And, you know, people often ask me how I ended up getting to work that I do, leading retreats, leading man coaching and all that kind of stuff. And all of it is a product of taking on my own personal work. And, and that really never ends, you know. As Theodore Roosevelt said, you know, if you want to serve people profoundly in the world, you have to be in the arena of life. You have to be daring greatly. So one of my coaches early on as well, his name is Adam, he told me that our job as a leader uh, – is to live an extraordinary life. We have to be in the world. We have to be experimenting, making messes, and just really delving deep into the own recesses of our own mind and constantly cultivating that relationship with ourselves and, and spirit. And that's really, that's our job. Like if you really want to be someone who leads leaders, who actually makes an impact beyond just having followers or beyond just amassing some sort of cult of personality, which I'm going to talk a little bit later in this episode, uh, you have to constantly be taking on your own work. Because if you don't, if you think that you've got it all figured out and you just start teaching people or leading people or sharing anything, uh, that is literally when you become a cult leader, right? That's the distinction between a cult leader and someone that's just a, uh, a transformational leader, we could call them, is, is the cult leader assumes that they've reached the end of the path and then now they can just share their dogma uh, with anybody. And I'd be very, very, very suspicious of anyone in the world, anyone online who has all the answers and who isn't actively taking on their own work. And so part of my process uh, with integrity is sharing transparently the work that I'm taking on and the struggles that I'm going through. So you guys know that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm only a few steps ahead of you. And uh, and to, to maintain that line of transparency because it makes me human. And I think we need more human leaders in the world. So I'm going to take a sip of this bulletproof coffee. It's like a bulletproof Americano. It's very hot. I'm uh, doing carnivore for the month, January World Carnivore Month. But I am having a little bit of butter coffee. So before I dive in, you know, if you are enjoying this podcast, and I know this is a more casual episode, we're kind of trying it out, but please, if, you, if you're enjoying this, I'm planning on releasing every single week an episode. Most of them will be interviews, but I would say at least once a month, there's going to be some sort of solo episode. Uh, and if you're enjoying this podcast, you've enjoyed the eight episodes up until now, or eight or nine episodes, whatever we're at, go ahead and subscribe, right? If, this year, I really want to make sure that... Uh, you know, I get this information out there that I that I just take this podcast to the next level. I've been really enjoying the episodes that I've recorded, the interviews that I've recorded. It's just really a passion of mine. But of course, it costs me a lot of money. Uh, you know, it costs money to edit, to edit these. It costs money to uh, get all the gear 
you know, get places to interview people in person. And so when you subscribe, that just really helps me grow this podcast, hopefully to the point where I could get a little bit of financial help through sponsorships. And it also just makes sure that you don't miss anything, right? I can curate better guests. The bigger impact that I have, the the wider spread the listenership in the show is, uh, the better guests I can I can curate for you and ultimately just make a better quality show. So if you're enjoying everything that I've done, please go ahead and subscribe. And if you haven't left an interview or sorry, a review, uh, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this. So anyway, let's get into the episode. So at the end of 2023, I was saying at the end of November, I went off to California and I did two really powerful retreats. The first one was seven day retreat called the Hoffman process. I want to talk a little bit about that and kind of what I got out of it, what happened leading up to that process that really shifted things for me uh, and made the impact, the the experience itself so much more powerful. So if you're not familiar with the Hoffman process, I'm just going to give you a quick overview. It's basically just a week-long retreat. It's been around. It was made by, created by, kind of like channeled by, I guess you could say, which is odd. Um, a guy, I think he was like a furniture maker or a carpenter or something, a guy named Bob Hoffman back in the 60s, and he calls it the Quadrinity process uh, is the full name, but most people just call it the process. But it's really this retreat that focuses specifically on healing family of origin and kind of inner child relational uh, wounding and and just really getting right with your parents, getting right with your family, getting right with your ancestors uh, so you can live a more empowered and free life. Uh, And kind of the concept is that all of our behaviors are inherited patterns from our parents specifically. So really our job in life in order to heal, in order to make different choices, in order to not spread generational trauma onto our children and you know beyond and and kind of cut it at its root we have to be able to identify all those patterns that we inherited so leading up to the program it was wild you i've never had such a comprehensive intake from no doctor from no anything that i've ever done you know i've done dozens and dozens of different retreats i've spent a lot of time in this space of just uh you know entering these these types of personal growth spaces and this thing took like 12 hours to complete there is hundreds and hundreds of questions uh, about all your family of origin your childhood your history a lot of self-reflection so already before the process had even started it was really 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 comprehensive and really having you kind of prepare yourself your spirit and 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 your psycho like psychologically preparing for this really really deep excavation into your past and your history and the reason that I was drawn to this was because I was noticing especially in personal intimate relationships like with my partner how much stuff was arising for me that reminded me of my mother specifically in relation to her and I'll I'll dive more into that later but what I've really recognized in the last six months or so and kind of leading up to this retreat and that really solidified it is just how much resentment, judgment, resistance, and patterning that we carry uh, from our parents and then how we project all of our wounding and all of our relational habitual tendencies on our partners, generally influenced by the opposite sex parents. So like how a man relates to his mother or how a woman relates to his father says a lot about how they're going to relate to their partner, uh, which I'll get into more later. But essentially, we identify these patterns, so we get really clear, like, oh, I got my... In the Hoffman world, and I don't know if I fully agree with this, but, like, every single behavior that you have either came from your mother or your father. And if it 
if it didn't, then you don't have that pattern. So they make you really, really think, oh, like, where did my anger come from? Or like, where did my victimhood come from? Or where did my, you know, gaslighting come from? Or where did my, and good things too, but for the most part, they focus on the things, the patterns that you really want to clear. And uh, I'm not going to go into too much process about the process itself, or sorry, too much detail about the process itself, as if you do do it in the future, it's a very refined system uh, with a lot of surprises and unique things that they share with you and experiences they take you through. And it's better if you don't know what those are. You know, I will say that it was very well thought out. It was very comprehensive. It was the absolute best retreat food I've ever eaten, which is always taking a big swing. The food was incredible. Um, and it made some really big shifts in my life with how I relate to my parents. And like I was just saying, because those big shifts around my parents transpired, it shifted the way that I see everybody else in my life, especially my intimate relationships and friendships. So I am a firm believer, and I believe this before I went to the Hoffman process, that anyone who is serious about personal growth needs to look at their family of origin. They need to do repair work, some healing work, and understanding around who they came from and how they inherited the patterns that they have in their life. You know, if you don't get right with your family, you're going to carry that into every single relationship in your life, whether it's your boss or your customers, if you own a business, your friends, and of course, most importantly and most significantly is going to be the man or the woman or whoever you choose to be in relationship with. And I really do, I like can't emphasize this enough. If you're listening to this and you want to lead your family better, you want to lead your life better, you want to run your business better, you want to be a better employee, whatever it is, anything that you want to upgrade in life, look at your family of origin. It's the most important thing you can do because it is what trained you in how to relate with the world at large. It's what trained you in how you relate to everybody. You don't know this, but intuitively and, and, and from like a somatic level, even before speech, the way your parents interacted with each other, the way they interacted with the world when you were a little child, you were just fully observing that like a sponge. I think they say up until like seven, you're just in this complete absorbent kind of stage of your life where you're literally just absorbing everything around you they trained you not consciously on their part how to be in the world and how to relate to the world and we just think that's our personality and it's not and you know so many of us rationalize our childhoods like i had a pretty good childhood i didn't come into that retreat and there was many people there with pretty significant trauma uh, you know i was well fed i was taken care of but of course like any family there was some periods that were just inappropriate and completely chaotic and I noticed like my whole life I've had this desire to defend the purity of my childhood and I had to accept that you know what actually there are some things that didn't go well what's up y'all I hope you're enjoying this solo episode with me I just want to drop here and drop a quick note this is the last week to register for our signature program, Elemental. This is a four-month initiation into conscious masculine leadership that I'm leading with three of my best friends and my brothers in 13 Pines. That's my sister business that really develops conscious masculine leadership in the world. So if you're interested in stepping into a whole new paradigm, a lot of stuff that I'm talking about in this episode will be covering ancestral healing, family of origin healing, inner child work, but also a ton of masculine development, embodiment work. You get the tools, the practices to live a life of more presence, of more connection, of more groundedness. And what this results in generally is not only feeling better about yourself, feeling more excited about life, 
feeling more available and aware, feeling more on mission, like you have a purpose here. But also guys often end up making a ton more money, really finding their purpose, manifesting the relationships of their dreams, just feeling better, getting to the best shape of their life, having the accountability, having the brotherhood, like true brotherhood in your life. If you don't have like real brothers who are on this path, you know, you're listening to this podcast because you're a conscious man, you wanna be a better man. If you don't have men around you like that, that are operating on that level, you're kind of fucked. Like you really are the average of the five people around you. And so you have to keep good company. I couldn't find those kind of men in my life. I had to go seek them out <clears throat> in a similar program to this. Joined one six years ago, changed the course of my life forever. Got around really high performers, men that were on the path, that wanted conscious relationship, that wanted to live a big purpose, wanted to leave an impact. And that's how I got to where I am today. And so if that's something that you're interested in, you know that you're meant for more and you're not sure exactly what that means or you don't have clarity around that or you just need support or brotherhood or accountability and so much more tools, practices, experiences, it's gonna be epic. We meet every single week for four months and then it ends in this beautiful five-day container. It's an initiation in just outside of Austin, Texas. Five days, all-inclusive, deep dive into what it means to be a conscious, masculine human being at this time on the earth. Not only is this amazing for you, but we need it. The women need it, the children need it, the planet needs it, our businesses need it. Just society needs it, cultural needs it. We need to restore masculine integrity. We need to restore conscious masculinity. We need to uphold the values of what makes men great and powerful and needed in this world. Only got two spots left. So if that's something that sounds like you wanna take on in your life, something that you wanna join, something you wanna be a part of, www.13pines.com, that's spelled out, 13pines.com forward slash elemental. Hit the application button. If you have any questions, go ahead, shoot me an email, a DM on Instagram, wherever you can find me, and I will walk you through that process. I really hope you can join us, fill this program up. Amazing group, intimate group, 20 men only. It's gonna be super powerful. It's gonna be the best investment you ever made in your life. We'll see you there. And there's some things that needed to be addressed in order for me to really grow as a man, to not stay stunted in these certain ways. I recognized during this retreat, there's just some ways that I immediately go to five-year-old or six-year-old Evan if I get in certain conflicts or certain situations in life. And my desire is to grow beyond that. And the only way to grow beyond that is to actually look at to what got stunted in the first place, which requires that I accept that maybe things weren't as delightful as I try to make them seem. That's a type of bypass that a lot of people do, right? We compare and we contrast to other relationships. Well, at least this didn't happen to me. Oh, well, you know, uh, it's all relative and stuff like that. And like, yeah, that's true. And until you address the things that didn't go well, and it's not to make people wrong or to, you know, villainize your parents or your family or your siblings or whoever, but until you address the things that didn't work for you, the legitimate needs that you didn't have met, the conversations that weren't had, you know, the people that really harmed you, whether it was intentional or not, until you address that, it's always going to be showing up in your life. It's always going to be showing up in your life in these subconscious and unconscious ways that you've repressed and denied or stepped over because you said, oh, my childhood was fine. And it's impacting your relationships. It's impacting how much money you make. It's impacting how you feel about yourself. It's impacting the way you eat. Like when you dig deep enough, which is what this whole process was about, you realize so many of your choices are impacted by things that happened to you that your family unconsciously, for the most part, did or didn't do 
that you're carrying with you 30, 40, 50 years later, which is absolutely nutty. So, having a sip of coffee here. So, these things don't have to be big traumas. Like, a lot of people think that you had to be abused or sexually abused or have these terrible things happen to you in order for you to have something to heal. But that's just simply not true, you know? It's, uh... It could be these little things. Like, I remember my parents... This is so silly, but I, <laughs> my parents used to tease me, so I have really thick hair. Like, if I grow my hair out, which I have in the past, I actually just recently cut it off. But when I grow my hair at any length over a few inches... It's big and puffy and thick. It's like a big blonde lion's mane. And I've always had that. And, and growing up, I guess with my small frame, my parents always used to tease me about how big my head looked, right? Because of all this hair that I had. And they always would joke that I had like cement in my head and I had a big head. And it was harmless and they were just joking around. But it had an impact. I had this weird complex for like a while, at least a decade or two, um... <laughs> until my mid-20s probably, that I had a big head. And I used to wear hats all through school. I'd wear beanies or toques as we call them in Canada. I'd wear a baseball cap. I would do anything I could to kind of squish my hair down in order for my head to not look big. And I don't know when that shifted, maybe in my early 20s or mid-20s when I recognized that, like, hey, my head isn't big. I just got teased by my own family. And they probably never even thought about it again. But it had an impact on me, right? And so it doesn't have to be these big capital T traumas. It could be the small little slices, the small little things, your parents, you know, picking you up late from school, all the things that happen. And we, you as an adult, you, of course, now you can say, well, my parents, you know, they they had to work late or there was traffic. Of course, they picked me up late. And you can rationalize it. But when you're a child, you don't rationalize that way. You just assume that it's your fault. You assume that there's something wrong with you and that's why they're not showing up to pick you up or that's why they showed up late because they don't care about you. And now, yes, of course, you can make sense of it and just recognize that it's okay, but there's some part of you that got wounded as a child in that moment that you are probably still carrying with you. Like you can't rationalize the way out of the things that happen to you on a somatic level, on a felt sense level. You can't think about it now and reflect on it from your mind and heal it. It actually has to be fully felt through. Like I said, you have to be able to touch it fully and recognize that it actually had an impact on you in order for you to heal from it. So one of the big things that I got out of this, like I was mentioning before, was just this idea like how much I've struggled in relationship with women because of the projection of my own wounding from how I related to the women in my family. And I recognized that like I had all this unprocessed resentment and frustration towards my mother. Uh, and my mom was just being my mom, you know, she had a really, really tough upbringing. And so she learned certain patterns and you start to realize this goes all the way back, right? She had a traumatic upbringing, a lot of really hard stuff that she had to work through in her life. And so she was just being my mom and she was an excellent mom in, in 99% of the ways. And there was a few things and behaviors and ways of being. And I was primarily raised by my mom. So my dad has his stuff too, but I spent most of my time with her, um, it, it just, it had an impact, you know, and I, I carried so much frustration and so much resentment towards her and what that did in every relationship that I got into with a, with a woman as an adult is it blocked me from actually seeing this woman 
as she was because anytime she had a behavior like she felt needy or she felt like she was in complaint or she felt like she was trying to control something or she felt like uh, I felt like she was being overly dramatic I like saw my mom and I wasn't conscious of this but I saw my mom and that reaction would come up in my body uh like when I was a kid or when I was a teenager and I felt like that same energy that same texture that same transmission and I couldn't be with it. And I, and I was like, it's actually probably a large part of what led me to getting into the work that I do today because I was recognizing like, man, I just have no patience for emotionality. Like I have no patience for drama. I have no patience for emotions that feel bigger than they need to be. Right. And so I would shut it down or I would turn away or I'd run away. And what I recognized was that like, that was an experience that I had often in my household as a child. And I didn't, know how to be with it and I also like I shouldn't have to be with it right like we shouldn't have to be with things that require you know our parents to parent right and so during this process I was able to do this deep kind of ceremonial work where I had a conversation I had a dialogue with my parents you know in the ethers but as they were children so my child talking to their child you know, and just me, even my adult, recognizing that my parents were children at some point, right? And it's kind of, I don't know, maybe you're watching or listening to this and you're like, well, yeah, of course my parents were children at some point, but have you really meditated on that? Have you really entertained the idea of what life was like when your parents were children? See, most of us haven't. Most of us haven't really, at least I hadn't, really thought about like, well, what was the experience of life like? when my dad was a little boy or when my mom was a little girl and like, what did they have to endure? What patterns did they inherit? What did they have to put up with and go through? And how are they, their needs not met. And from that place, when you really spend a few hours, you know, really feeling into that and understanding that the amount of compassion and empathy that just arises out of your body is uh, substantial because you recognize like, Oh, they were also innocent and their parents were also ignorant. And then, of course, you could think of your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And we didn't go that far, but you can entertain the idea that all this long lineage, thousands and thousands of years, and certainly at least hundreds and hundreds of years in our more modern society, our parents and their parents and etc. were just inheriting the patterns and the ways of being. And they were trained into certain ways of doing things and speaking to you and meeting needs and not meeting needs and enduring their own traumas that we, uh, that, that was innocent. They were ignorant to anything else. It was just the way it was, right? And so when we can recognize that our parents had to do the exact same things, we can stop blaming them, right? And we can start to forgive them. Now, it's not a magic bullet. It's not like I came out of there and everything in my life was clear around my family of origin, but it gave me so much perspective on the ways that I've spent my life just resenting others, you know, resenting authority, the ways I've withheld love, the ways I've judged other people and criticized people who I felt represented these unhealed aspects of my relationship with my parents. Like I've always been a deeply anti-authoritarian dude, like anti-authority. How, how do I say that word? Anti-authority? I don't know. Um, but I've always, you know, I've always defied authority. I have a huge disdain for it. And I think some of that is just my nature. I don't know, whatever, my karma, perhaps. But what I recognize in, in this week was that so much of that disdain for authority is just this part of me that, like, 
it never there, there's parts of it that are really noble but there's parts of it that just felt like i was pushing back for the sake of pushing back because i didn't have that capacity when i was younger you know or i don't even know if that's fully the way that i could put it but there's something there's something tied to to resistance against not just authority but like parents right like family of origin just like resisting that level of control resisting anybody trying to tell me what to do resisting anyone coercing me into doing something that didn't feel good and it's been giving me a gift of like very strong boundaries it's gotten me to where i am today you know a really strong will and and trusting my gut and going with it but it's also cost me a ton as these patterns do right everything that happens in our life even our shadowy aspects or the parts of ourselves that we feel need to be improved, like they had a beautiful gift. They protected us. They kept us safe, especially when we were children. Um, but eventually if we want to be someone else and have different relationships in our lives and, and grow, we have to let those things go. And so on one hand, I'm a fiercely independent dude. Uh, I'm very resourced. I'm very resourceful. I can make shit happen. Um, and I can, f- I figure things out and I land on my feet 99% of the time. But what that's cost me is a lot of love, a lot of relationships, a lot of connection. It's put a lot of fear uh, in people around me because I have a big energy and I know what I want and I'm assertive and I'm direct. And a lot of that was a product of just wanting to defy authority because of my upbringing, right? And so as I started to let that go and realize like, okay, what's the actual stand I am in the world in terms of where do I actually defy authority because it's out of, it's incongruent with my actual personal values and where do I defy authority just because it reminds me of something from my family of origin and I've been able to parse those apart and so now I can stand in my sovereignty but still be open-hearted, still be in connection and still be in love which is just been really, really powerful. You know, it's all about making distinctions and, and, and as we grow and as you go on this journey, what I've noticed is like my ability to distinguish through these very nuanced parts of my personality give me so much more access to power, right? Because defying authority as a reaction to something reminding me of my childhood is completely disempowered, right? I'm, I'm a five-year-old at that point. Define authority because I know who I am and what I stand for in the world uh, is an act of sovereignty and an act of maturity in a lot of ways, right? Setting those boundaries. And so being able to parse those things out so I like I can live in more integrity with my heart and my soul and less out of my childish boy wounds uh, is incredibly impactful, right? And so I would just say that like I would, knowing what I know now and what I experience now, you know, the first thing is, is like, I understand and on a somatic level and on a very deep in the fiber of my being, we all often hear this, that our parents did the best they could, but I really understand that. And they, and, and that gave me so much compassion for them. Like I see them with a whole new set of eyes and I have so much more love available, so much more forgiveness, so much more patience, uh, by recognizing that like their humanity and there's, there's no more blame. There's no more contempt. There's none of that exists. You know, and, and, and I don't think it will ever resurface, bar them doing something really horrific. Like, I just, I've reached this level of maturity where I can relate to them beyond the wounds, beyond our two children, right? 
Because they still have their childhood shit coming up too. And when I respond with my child, then we're just two children going back at it. And children should never be raising children, right? Or relating with children. We need someone to adult in the space. So even in those spaces where my parents regress back to those childhood wounds, I can recognize it. I can see it. I can have forgiveness and compassion. And I can actually offer the gift of being the adult in that situation where they had to do that for so many years, right? For whatever, 15, 20, 25 years of my life, they had to continuously step into that role uh, beyond their own bullshit. And so now I can offer that gift back to them. And, and it's, inc- it's been incredibly healing. Uh, even without being in full disclosure of everything that I experienced there, just the energetics and the way that I, I perceive my parents has been s- shifted immensely. You know, so I'm just looking at my notes here. What I really realized here and what I would <laughs> invite anybody listening to this is, yes, focus on the family of origin and then get right with those relationships before even thinking about bringing your own children into the world. And if you already have kids, take this work on because it's going to make you such a better parent. But until we get right with those relationships, whether our parents are dead or alive or we're separated from them or adopted, it doesn't matter. It could be in the, it could be a ceremony that you do. It could be a cord cutting. It could be actually having those conversations if you're fortunate enough to have your parents around and be in connection with them. But if you're not actively repairing these relationships and releasing the resentment you carry towards your parents, and I'm guaranteed that it's in there if you've never done this work before, unless you're like one of the tiny 1% of people that just had a perfect childhood, I really invite you to start, especially if you're a parent or you want to have children, because there is no way you won't pass on that trauma. You won't pass on those patterns until you've really accepted and cleared the stuff that happened in your childhood. So this will, it's just like, it, it It will change every single relationship you have. And I know I'm kind of hammering away on this, but I just want to make that really clear that if you're listening to this, start to look at this stuff. And it might be the Hoffman process. It might be any number of things. It might just simply make it an inventory of like, huh, what are the things that I feel like, you know, what are the patterns that I feel like I can associate that I inherited from my parents? And how can I begin to recognize them in the moment? Like, oh, this is just, this is the pattern. This is my pattern of anger. I was trained in this. That's one for me. My dad would get angry. He was a little hot-headed. Um, not so much anymore. He seemed to have cooled in his uh, later years. But as a child, he was very hot-headed. He was very temperamental. And so I learned, I was trained to react with anger and respond with anger. But that's not who I am right? It's just something that I inherited. And so starting to identify those patterns and associate them with your parents, not to make them wrong or not to resent them, but to actually give yourself some grace and compassion that like you, you know, you're just learning on this journey. And then from there, going deeper and deeper into the practices of forgiveness, you know? And so another thing, so (laughs) that's the familial stuff. I want to focus on another piece right before I went into this retreat. And you know, it's all about this healing our inner child, healing our family of origin. And another one of the days was focused on vindictiveness, like our need to get revenge, our need to have the last word, our need to, the ways that we stew in resentment and anger towards other people. Now, I had an amazing blessing come like literally five days before I went into the retreat. Uh, Someone I'm not going to name because I don't want to give them any more clout or notoriety on the internet. Randomly, I have no idea who this person is, came across my Instagram page and they basically smeared my name and they told tons of lies. They made up the story about my history, that I was lying about the work that I did, that I never, you know, worked on the rigs, that I never, all this stuff. Like they, I was never a farmer, all this stuff, which is like just total bullshit. You know what I mean? Um, lied about all this stuff, said I was predating like on 
weak men and that I was teaching dudes how to be alpha and that like a guy with a ponytail shouldn't teach dudes how to be alpha. I don't use alpha in any of my lexicon. I remove that. Initially I did years ago until I realized that, like that's a word that I'm just not interested in being associated with at all. And so there's literally nothing <laughs> represented uh, in any of my media and anything that I do that even connotates alpha. Um, but anyway, this guy went on his like you know, trip about me and all these things. And it fucking triggered me, you know? Um, it was a massive initiation and just reflection on how big of an ego I had because I made it 100 times worse. You know, adult Evan would have said, okay, cool. Like, whatever, say what you want. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It's the internet, it, everything, it's social media. Things just flow away and go into the ethers within a few days. But little Evan, vindictive Evan, Ego Evan, <laughs> Pitbull Evan, which I'll explain in a moment, was like, oh, no, 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 you don't talk to me that way. You don't talk about me that way. So I stirred up a big storm, and I'm not going to get into the details because it's not even worth it, but I responded back. He responded back. It went back and forth. He continued to smear my name. He brought my family into it. He brought my partner into it. He started posting pictures and lies, you know, all sorts of just really nasty stuff. Like, the dude went very, very dark, um, and it hit my wound, you know, it hit my wound of being misunderstood. Like here I am, I'm feeling like I'm trying to leave an impact in the world that's positive. I'm trying to help people. You know, I spend all this, I spend a lot of my time helping people for nothing. You know, people reach out to me every couple days, jump on a call with them. I support them. I'm trying to do good work in the world. I'm trying to raise the collective consciousness. And this guy's telling me I'm a predator and like I'm a monster and that I take advantage of weak people and that I'm a bully and a shit talker and a, and that I'm cheating on my wife and that like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he just like went after me. And so, man, I felt so misunderstood. And I've always had this part of me that's just like, this wound of misunderstanding, you know, just like feeling like, man, I'm trying to do the right thing and everybody's interpreting me as doing the wrong thing. It fucking hurt, right? And so anybody that knows me personally knows like I don't back down from a fucking fight. Like I don't. Like I'm, I'm, uh, you get in my way, I'll bulldoze you. You know, my men's group a few years ago, they called me Quaffed Pitbull. And at the time I kind of had this like quaff, which is like the slick back haircut and then Pitbull because that's what I am. Like, you know, I'll eat you alive. And so I don't take that name with a lot of pride, you know, let the wind die down here. I don't take that name with a lot of pride. Like there's a part of me that used to like and get off on the idea of being a Pitbull, but I don't, I don't want to be an aggressive dog in the world, you know? And, like, that's not the stand in leadership that I'm taking. Like, that's not who I want to be known as, the guy that bites back at the haters. Because they're going to be around my whole life, right? And so, like, am I really walking the walk of my work if I'm allowing myself to get triggered and vindictive? Am I really standing on the principles that I espouse? I talk about creating legendary leaders, and here I am reacting to people, and then it gets publicized to half a million followers, like, man, so I just made it a hundred times worse and I had to take responsibility for all of that. But dude, I was stewing in anger. Like I was furious. You know, I wanted to literally kill this guy. I had fantasies all day and night. I was going to fucking kill him. Like I was going to rip his arms off. I was going to cut his throat. I was going to run him over. I was going to, you know, and of course I would never do any of that shit. But like the fantasy in my mind was just going nuts about how I wanted to destroy this person. And so I went into this retreat with all that. Like it was, it was all up for me. And when then we get to this day about vindictiveness and they, they say like, okay, 
Think about someone who's really crossed you recently. Think about someone who's really hurt you and you're going to let it all out on this person and then you're going to forgive them. And so I'm not going to go into details about the process, but I had an experience where I let all that out, you know, and, and so much of it was just my own self blame and my, my own pity party or like, why me and blah, 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 blah. And I recognize after that, that like, wow, this has been such a beautiful initiation for me to, it tested me. Like, are you, are you legit? You know, um, are you really standing on your principles when people come after you? Because the hate's going to come anytime you want to leave an impact in the world. Anytime you stand for something, people are going to hate you. Right. And so can I be with that? And now that that's happened and I got thousands and thousands of DMS and comments from people telling me I was a fucking loser and a clown and a fraud and a whatever, anything that, anything that you could basically call me, I received. Um, and I can be with it. It was like, it was, I can be with that. Right. And so I needed that. And I recognized how vindictive of a person that I am and how much of my life I've stewed in revenge and stewed in wanting to get back at people and how much energy that takes and how much love that removes from my life and my need to be right and my need to get the last word and all of that kind of stuff where I could have always just chosen to be the bigger person. I could always just chose, I could have just chose to walk away in so many situations, but it's my fucking ego is so big. And so in that process, I was really able to forgive him. And I'm not saying that I completely let it go. There's some like little, you know, tales of resentment. When you bring my family into things like it's, that's a pretty dark place to go and it's hard to forgive somebody for, you know, but I did recognize that I can let go of my vindictiveness for the most part, you know, and I recognized how traumatized and wounded someone must be to seek people out on the internet and go after them, you know, and, 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 talk about poor leadership when your followers just mimic you without doing their own thinking without doing their own diligence without using their own mind and they just go after you that says a lot about your leadership so i learned a lot about like oh i notice my people aren't reacting they're not coming in on my defense they're not doing anything that's actually the right thing to do and i could have learned something from that because i don't need people to defend me in the messes that i make by engaging with people that aren't worth the breath right? And so I forgave this whole situation. I obviously forgave myself and I recognize how addicted the world is to vindictiveness, to revenge, to petty drama, right? Like think of all the movies that are about getting revenge on somebody, you know? And so this whole experience where like, yeah, I lost sleep for a night or two because I was so angry. It wasn't because I was worried about my business. It wasn't because I was worried about the truth. It wasn't because I was worried about getting canceled or this guy finding something out because it was all baseless. I was very confident that like whatever I create in the world, I'm doing it from the integrity of my heart. I don't lie to people. I don't mislead people. Uh, and I'm doing the right thing. It was more of the anger. Like I, I was so angry I couldn't sleep, right? And so I recognized like, man, I can't ever let anger and vindictiveness and revenge control me that way. It's a waste of time. I don't need the last word. Let people talk shit. You know, let them hate you. <laughs> and you know what? The most powerful thing you can do is turn around and walk away laughing because you know there's not an ounce of substance and an ounce of truth to what people say about you. So massive initiation and I just... I, I can't believe how much energy the world spends and how addicted we are to revenge and to vindictiveness. And after seeing that, like I will never utter 
untrue or unverified or useless, just absolutely useless words to anybody online or in person. Like, I don't have, my commitment is to never follow up drama or like false information or things that might be true or gossip or whatever. It's so pointless. What a waste of energy. If you are listening to this and you spend time like even just observing or engaging in like internet drama or online drama or drama with your friends or gossip, let it go. Like let it go. You're so much bigger than that, you know? So I'm so grateful because it poked all these holes. This whole experience with this dude poked all these holes in places that I am out of integrity in my life. You know, where I am still living from my massive ego, where I'm still living from that old pit bull energy that got me a lot of things in my life, but I'm ready to let go. Because again, it's a place where I lose connection. It's a place where I put fear in my friends' hearts, even though I'm not even aware of it. Like I was unconscious of it, you know, and where I would retaliate when people insulted me, right? You know, how much time do I want to spend defending a position? the person I am, the work that I do, when in reality, you don't need to explain who you are, what you do, or anything to anyone. You don't owe them anything, right? I recognize I don't owe this anything. In fact, the more I defend it, the more guilty I look, right? And so we have nothing to defend. I don't have a position to defend. I trust that if I continue to do my work in the world, you know, people will talk shit, people will do things, and I, and I encourage you to do the same. Like, there's no, there's almost never a reason to defend yourself, Right? How often are we in our intimate relationships, especially, where we feel the need to defend ourselves? Well, it didn't happen that way. I didn't say that. I didn't do this. Okay, cool. Let that other person have the reality. You know what I mean? And I recognize that I can only get hurt as big as I allow my ego to be. And so the bigger my ego is, the more capacity I have to be hurt. If I don't have an ego around things, I don't give a shit what people say about me, it's impossible to get hurt. I'm like impenetrable. You can't fuck with me, right? And so I was thinking about this as I was kind of making notes on this the other day. And if you see me looking down, I'm just looking at my iPad. I got some notes here. But it reminded me of the second agreement in the in the book, The Four Agreements by uh, Don Miguel. And I want to read a little quote from it that I read uh, while I was doing a little research today. He says, there is a huge amount of freedom that comes to you when you take nothing personally. So if you don't know the book, The Four Agreements, the second agreement, is take nothing personally. It's four kind of rules to live by. So let me start again. There is a huge amount of freedom that comes to you when you take nothing personally. You become immune to black magicians, and no spell can affect you regardless of how strong it may be. The whole world can gossip about you, and if you don't take it personally, you are immune. Someone can intentionally send emotional poison, and if you don't take it personally, you will not eat it. When you don't take the emotional poison, it becomes even worse in the sender but not in you. As you make a habit of not taking anything personally, you won't need to place trust in what others do or say. You will only need to trust in yourself to make responsible choices. You are never responsible for the actions of others. You are only responsible for you. When you truly understand this and refuse to take things personally, you can hardly be hurt by the careless comments or actions of others. I love that. You won't need to place your trust in what others do or say. In that moment, I trusted what he thought of me more than I trusted myself. I trusted that, you know, I didn't trust that in my own integrity. I didn't trust in my own truth. I thought I had to defend some straw man. Like I was, I was having an argument and trying to defend something that didn't even exist, right? And so 
we're always at choice, right? Being offended is a choice. Having to defend ourselves is a choice. Feeding into people's drama is a choice. And one of the best kind of tactical and hilarious things that I pulled from that whole situation is the power of the block button on social media. It's a true boundary. I blocked anybody that talks shit. And I used to hear other creators and people that had, you know, social media accounts and create, you know, Joe Rowan says he never reads his comments. And a lot of people say, oh, instant block, instant block. And I always thought that was like, wow, these people are really, you know, they're not open to discussion. They're not open-minded. They won't even let other people, you know, share other opinions or ideas, but that's not what it's about. It's just like a boundary. Like, and it's kind of funny because there's nothing more infuriating than someone trying to hate on you. You don't engage and then they just can't engage with you anymore. It's the same thing as just walking away. Right. And so, yeah, I blocked literally every single person that came onto my social media and I wouldn't do it any different. I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life. I don't have time for people's negative energy. If you don't resonate with my message, go leave a comment somewhere else. Go engage in someone else's life. Go look at someone else's work. I don't have time for you either. You're obviously not my people. I don't need you in my life. See, an actual boundary is not when we say we don't tolerate something, but then continue to allow it in our lives. Like, oh, I hate when people do this, or I hate when you do this, or I'm never going to let you do this again, and yet you continue to engage in the energy and invite it into your space. Actual boundaries, that thing can't live in your space any longer. It can't exist in your space. You're such a, that's what a boundary is, naturally. If I set up a cow perimeter, you know, I have a pasture and I set up the electric fence, the cow is not going beyond that fence. That's the boundary. It's not like, the cow can go near the fence and then I pull the fence down and the cow can, you know, go over the wires or anything. It's like, no, this is the fucking boundary, right? The cow is not invited to the other side of this fence. That is something that we all need to practice a bit more. If people are say they have boundaries, oh, I have such strong boundaries. No, you don't. If you did, you wouldn't, that energy wouldn't even exist in your space because we are choosing what we allow around us. And so by engaging with this dude, I allowed him into my space. I could have just instantly blocked him and moved on with my life. So anyway, I don't want to spend too much time about that, but like, wow, massive, massive initiation into not taking things personally and just recognizing how huge my ego is and how much time I've spent living from that place. Oh, me? You're going to offend me? You're going to talk shit about me? You're going to cut me off in traffic? You're going to do this to me? You're going to make me wait for this fucking table at the restaurant? Even though I have a reservation at this time, me, bullshit. All it does is make your life miserable, take you out of the moment, and just makes you a curmudgeon. You know, and so I just want to put a side note in this and then move on that if you're on the internet actively, which most of us are, on social media actively, and you take part in spreading lies, misinformation, or whatever like that, because the, the way the internet is, you can basically do that with no repercussions. You can hide behind your keyboard. It's not like you're walking in a public square in the town and you're talking shit to someone where there's actually like violence could be, you know, um, a consequence of doing something like that. If you spend any amount of time doing that on the internet, just know that you're making the world a, a worse place. You know, you're making the world worse. Right. And so step up. Act with some integrity. Learn from my mistake by engaging in that shit because I'll never do it again. I'll never troll people. I'll never engage or even observe internet drama. I'll never read comments. I don't give a shit. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. And it's not worth yours either. So don't engage in that stuff. It's a total fucking waste of time. No amount of pride or righteousness is worth your peace of mind. Our peace of mind is everything in life. right? If you don't have peace of mind, if you don't have clarity and stillness, you have nothing. So notice, are there people that are stirring up shit? Are there areas in your life that stir up shit? 
you know, that, that stir up those storms in your mind? If you're around places and people and things and communities online or in person that are stirring up those storms, leave them. Your peace of mind is not, not worth it. Not worth being right. Not worth having the last word. Right? I don't waste time entertaining people's baseless opinions anymore. If I want opinions and feedback, I go to people that I trust that know me. I don't go to random strangers on the internet. So it's not that I'm opposed to ever receiving feedback or opinions again or people's you know, comments on my work or critique. I just don't take it from random dudes on the internet. Right? I take it from people I trust. Everything else is just noise. So after the process, I'm going to share a little bit about the Hobbit process. Super amazing. Ate like a king. Probably gained a bunch of weight. Met a bunch of amazing people. You know, healed a lot of this vindictiveness, healed this family of origin stuff for the most part, you know, got really, really clear on, um, yeah, just reestablishing my connection to spirit. The last couple of years, I've just felt a little disconnected. A lot had been going on in my life. My life's gotten very big, very complicated. I just felt disconnected from spirit. So I, I got back in touch with that. And then after that, they recommend that you take a few days off. And so I rented a little cabin out in the woods up on the Russian River, uh, just, uh, north of the bay in San Francisco and uh, spent a couple days in the woods, kind of wet Pacific Northwest weather, just integrating, chilling out, not doing a whole lot. And then I went over to Harbin Hot Springs, spent a couple nights in the hot springs, just same thing, you know. And then after that retreat ended, so Hoffman ended on a Friday, the following Wednesday, about five days later, I started a Vipassana uh, meditation retreat. And if you're not familiar with Vipassana, it is, well, the lineage of S.N. Goenka, hold on, let me take a sip here. So Vipassana means insight, meditation, essentially. It allegedly comes from Burma. I've been doing Vipassana meditating, going on these retreats, these 10-day silent retreats uh, since 2016, and I took a break during COVID uh, because they had too many rules and all this crazy stuff around masks and vaccines and all that crap that I just didn't want to adhere to. But generally, I go every year, sometimes twice a year, I go on a 10-day retreat in the style of a Singoenka, this Burmese man that brought it to uh, all over the world, to India, and then kind of proliferated all around the world. And uh, the reason I do these every year, well, first of all, let me give you some context. It's a 10-day silent retreat. So you go there, you go to these centers, and this one was in Northern California, and you take a vow of silence. You live like a monk. You take a bunch of vows. You're not going to, you know, kill. Uh, you're not going to lie, which is why they do the vow of silence. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. You know, you're going to live simply, essentially. You just basically take monastic vows. And then you go into, you know, 10 to 12 hours of meditation a day. So they're very challenging on a physical level. Uh the first one I did in 2016, I had just gotten back from traveling and I had known about Vipassana for a number of years and really wanted to have a deep meditation practice and experience. And that first retreat changed my life entirely. I had some latent anxiety, things that was subtle, you know, it was a subtle anxiety, but it was there, it was apparent in my body and a few weird ticks and habits that I had formed over the years and all of that just dissolved. Like, I entered a whole new level of stillness, of body awareness, of concentration and focus in 10 days. It it shifted things massively for me. So, of course, eight weeks later, I went and did another one. Uh, extremely hard, 
different result. Every experience is different. And then it kind of became an annual thing that I did for a number of years after that. And there is something about the power of sitting in silence. You know, you go on these 10 day retreats where you can't speak and you recognize, wow, since I could speak, this is probably the longest I've ever gone without speaking. And when you don't speak, it frees up a lot. It frees up a lot of mental energy. It frees up a lot of focus. You recognize how distorted your thoughts and your mind comes just by hearing people talking to you all the time and having to process that information. It's such a huge part of our brain capacity is used. So you enter this level of clarity where all your senses are heightened, right? Um, and it really is conducive to going into deep meditation and you go through a very specific process on how to meditate and you just observe. And the whole point of the whole course is anicca. It's impermanence. It's just to recognize the impermanence of everything. And I'll tell you, sitting for 10 to 12 hours a day in a meditative pose is excruciatingly painful for someone that's never done it. It's excruciatingly painful. And the request, the invitation that they make there is that you don't adjust as much as you can. Try not to move. Just sit with the pain and observe. Observe its impermanent nature. And what that does is it begins to clear what they call old sankaras, old stocks of karma. When you stop reacting to sensations and you stop reacting to life, just similar to what I was saying before, I lived in this reactive, angry, vindictive state. Well, when you stop reacting to things, you start to come into this place of stillness, then all the old stuff that you used to react to and all the old karma that you've accumulated begins to get processed. It begins to come up on the surface of your body, might be felt as a sensation, and then dissolve. Whether you believe this or not doesn't really matter. It works. I've watched hundreds and hundreds of people go through this process. It absolutely changes their lives. And this sit was such a great place to go to from the Hoffman process because it just allowed everything that got stirred up in that process that maybe I wasn't fully complete on to just, I had to be with it, right? I just had to be with it. And every single night you watch a video with kind of a Dharma talk. Uh, it's basically a conversation about Buddhist philosophy and some of the practice and the technical pieces of the practice and he answers some questions. Uh, and I've watched these talks over and over and over again, right? I think that was my seventh time going to this course. So I've seen them six times, they're always the same. But what I noticed in this one was just my capacity to understand some of these concepts after being away from it for four years were much deepened. And one of the main concepts that I've been kind of speaking through this whole podcast, but I think it's so important that we understand, is that we are constantly sowing the seeds of our own karma. So Goenka, the teacher, he hit the example that he gives is like it's akin to a planting different types of trees so in india they have this very 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 bitter bitter plant this bitter fruit called neem and so he's like okay so you keep going through your life planting these bitter fruits planting these neem trees sowing these seeds everywhere throwing them in everyone's face you know your resentment your anger your misery your whatever it is and then when all those seeds come to harvest and they grow into trees and they bear fruit you want mangoes. You want sweet mangoes. Well, you don't get mangoes because you've been sowing misery your whole life, right? And so not only does being miserable and sowing these seeds of hatred and misery and anger and jealousy and envy and all those cardinal sins and everything that we do, all the negativity that we sow in our lives, not only does it hurt us in the moment because it never feels good to be that way, but you can't expect a year from now for your life to be better. You can't. Like you have to 
<laughs> you have to sow the mango seeds today. Because that, what you're creating today amplifies, it multiplies. You sow those seeds, that grows into a tree, and it's not like that one seed creates a tree with one mango on it or one neem fruit. It creates hundreds. And then those fall to the ground, and that creates hundreds. And like this, our karma amplifies and amplifies, and that one little seed contains millions and millions and millions of seeds in it, right? The potential of millions and millions of more karmic debt, more misery. So I got so, so dialed in on like, okay, what are the seeds that I'm sowing? Because yes, it hurts now to be this way. It never feels good. It's hurting myself. It's hurting others. But it's going to take me a long time to dig out of this hole, right? If I'm miserable for two years, it's going to take me four years, five years to dig out of that hole where there's actually positivity in my life because all I've been doing is sowing the seeds of misery, right? All I've been doing is sowing the seeds of deception. All I've been doing is sowing the seeds of uh, anger, rage. I can't expect that to just turn around tomorrow or for those things to just go away when that's what I've been planting everywhere in my life. So that really came through for me And then on day six, when we're like super deep into the meditation, I woke up and I got crazy sick, like extremely sick. I could barely get out of bed. I had fevers, hot flashes, sweating. I was like getting chills, sweaty chills, like everything, just miserable, this terrible respiratory cough. Uh, Wasn't COVID, you know, they had me test there before I could even participate in the rest of the course, but I was just ruthlessly sick. And thus that up until that day my meditations had been very strong like I was experiencing very very little body pain I was highly focused in the meditation hall and in uh, the the sittings of strong determination they call them when you really focus hard I was having a very very strong sit and Goenka often tells the story the uh, in the Dharma talks at night as well uh, as well as in some of the literature around this particular lineage that as we get deeper into the nuances the accumulated stock of karma that's even more deeply buried in our body. These deep, deep sankaras can manifest in many ways. So some people like get diarrhea and some people, you know, he talks about a, a guy that developed nuclear warheads, um, went and sat a course. Like imagine the karma that guy has on him. So he was like jumping up and down and bouncing on his head and everything like that, uh, releasing all this stuff. And so did I just pick up the flu from a guy, another guy in the space? Maybe. Is it possible that like I was starting to process and unwind some of these very, very deep sankaras and they came and manifested as, you know, uh, deep respiratory illness, fevers, shakes, nightmares. Like I had crazy night terrors, people getting mutilated, people getting burned, people getting killed, right? These very, very, and I asked the teacher there, they have an assistant teacher where you can ask questions and he's like, yeah, you know, these are just really deep rooted complexes leaving your system. Right. And so really, really challenging because to be sick like that, like just I could barely get out of bed. I didn't eat. I fasted like half the course. I lost like 10 pounds. I came back and weighed myself. I was like 10 pounds lighter. I couldn't eat. I couldn't really walk or do much. uh, And I couldn't distract myself. There's no phone. You can't read. You can't write like they don't let you do anything. You're basically in a prison where you just sit and sleep and meditate. So I just had to be with this, you know. That was really, really tough, and it really got me in touch with the fragility of my body, right? I'm a healthy dude. I'm pretty young still. I'm in great shape, Uh, and when I get sick, I recognize so many times, and I had to meditate on this and be with it, like, man, that sickness, like, who knows? I could pick up something that just takes me out, right? And so 
really strong course, really, really difficult, probably my most difficult course yet. I felt like my meditation fell off a little bit near the end, but the way that the teachings really just sat and integrated into my being, into my body and into my psyche, uh, super, super deep, right? And just so aware now between those two things and everything that happened and all the drama that I kind of shared with you. Uh, of just being so meticulous with my words and how much energy I waste talking shit. And I don't mean talking bad about people, but just talking, just saying stuff that's unnecessary, just the amount of words that we use and even noticing how I'm, the language that I use and the foul language and the likes and the ums and the ahs, but also just the stuff where I just chitter chatter for no reason or crack jokes. What a waste of energy. What a waste of energy. So part of my commitment in the future and moving forward is not wasting my energy on useless words, on useless conversations anymore. Just being more precise, being a little quieter, thinking a little deeper, leaving more space for life to be what it is, right? As I talk for hours on this podcast. So yeah, that was uh, that was my experience over the last month. And uh, those were some of my insights I'm really recognizing now after being on the road for almost a month and jumping right to the holidays, uh, just the desire to ground in here and really slow down. You know, the last few years, the last three, four years, I've just been on this whirlwind of, of retreats and, you know, I've been to probably 30 retreats in the last three years. A lot of them I was assisting in with my, my old teacher, John. Uh, some of them I was running myself and a lot of them were just other things that I was participating in and just recognizing I want to take my work a little slower, right? And moving out of this Western cultural thing of like being so obsessed with my own personal healing and, and more into the indigenous philosophy of holding ceremony as an offering and a prayer for the healing of others, right? And not making everything so egocentric and ah, my trauma and my healing and my this and my that because it gets exhausting and that shit never ends and it becomes, it actually can inflate the ego. So I've noticed actually like all this healing and oh, I've done this work and I've done that and I've drank this many cups of ayahuasca. <laughs> it's supposed to heal us. It's supposed to humble us. It's supposed to help us walk this earth with more humility. And what it ends up doing is inflating our ego in these massive ways. Right. And so just noticing in myself, wanting to get out of this me, 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 my, 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 like my stuff, my work, my gifts, my blah, 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 like just letting that go, letting the ego soften and dissolve. Of course, our ego has an important place in our lives, but letting that stuff go and really being of true service beyond myself and like my problems and what I need. And so there is one more <laughs> saying that there is one more kind of commitment I have. I'm going out to uh, to Joshua Tree out in February uh, to work with the Animus Institute. So if any of you are familiar with Bill Plotkin, uh, Soulcraft, but he works more in the realm of, of wilderness vision fast, you know, uh, sacred council, self-design ceremonies, shadow work that's based in nature, uh, storytelling, just a little bit more animistic, um, a little bit more rooted in the earth uh, versus the super Western psychological, like, do this and fix this and this is the four-step process uh but slowing down and listening is is really what i'm focused on you know uh less regression and more in touch with the larger web of life you know using nature and dream work uh to to heal and guide me uh, through my life and so long story short 
you could skip to the end of the podcast right here and listen to the, these two takeaways. And I hope you remember these going forward. I'm going to share them with you. If you've made it this far, thanks for listening. This is an experiment. Let me know what you think of this episode. But the first takeaway, start your healing with your family. Maybe you've never done any personal work before. Maybe you're a veteran, but you've avoided your family. Start that today. Get right with your parents because it will change every single relationship in your life. Do that now. It might be you might have had a great childhood. You might have a great relationship with your parents. At least call them and tell them you love them. You don't need anything from them. Just tell them, you know what? I respect you. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for everything you offered me in my life. Even that, even if you have resentment, the amount of humility that that takes to own and to actually feel and to say authentically could be the catalyst to change. And the takeaway number two, Notice the ways you actually choose drama and challenge in your life. Notice the energy you entertain and then choose something else. Notice how you entertain things in your life and you let people in because you have a big ego, right? You have a big ego that needs to be offended, that needs to take things personally, that needs to stir up drama, that you need to engage in these things to get entertainment, to get a dopamine hit because it does feel good. Vindictiveness does feel good. Anger, rage, it feels good. We get high off it. We get addicted to these stupid traumatic patterns so know that you're at choice and just recognize be honest with yourself like why am i engaging in this cycle of drama and then choose something else that would be my two takeaways my two invitations two things that i have learned personally i hope this podcast helps you today quick cta quick call to action i just want to let you know elemental our four-month men's program is an initiation into conscious masculine leadership it starts january 17th So from here on out, I think when this podcast comes out, there's about a week left. We may have a spot or two left. If you're interested, www.13pines.com forward slash elemental. It's going to be bringing a lot of the stuff that I shared today into that space, collaborating with three of my best friends, you know, combined experience, 35, 40 years of doing transformational work. If you're a man listening to this and you want to step into a deeper level of leadership, you want to heal relationships with your intimate partner, with your family of origin, with your ancestors, you want to get into shadow work, you want to get into sacred ceremony, you want to build brotherhood and be around really powerful men, like the crew of men that we have in this program, they're epic. I'm so excited to start. we got only a couple spots left. We're limiting it to 20. It's going to be super intimate. Four months, call every single week, five-day retreat in Austin, Texas, just outside of Austin, Texas, in nature. It's going to be so fucking powerful. I'm so excited to offer this to you. I feel so charged up about what we're creating in the world. I believe in it so strongly. If you're listening to this and you're interested in it at all, go ahead and reach out to us. Reach out to me um, or go to 13pines.com, spelled out, forward slash elemental, and uh, apply there. Other than that, thanks again for hanging out with me here for listening to this podcast. I hope it serves you. Let me know. If you're watching this on YouTube, let me know in the comments below. And if you're listening to this, send me a DM on Instagram. Send me, I don't know, an email, whatever. Everybody can contact me apparently, though I'm trying to keep things a little more private now. uh, Shit got a little weird there for a minute. But uh, let me know. Let me know if you like this format. And other than that, next week, I'm going to have an interview with one of my all-time heroes. Uh, I'm not going to share his name yet, but he changed my life forever. And you guys get to listen to that interview As always, thanks again for listening to the Undomesticate podcast. Stay sovereign.